Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 467th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has way too much fun with worms. We're talking with Bentley Christie about worm composting. Bentley, also known as Compost Guy, earned an Honors Bachelor of Science in Biology with undergrad and grad studies in plant pathology, microbiology, soil, and compost science. He's been working with worms for over 20 years and has an interesting story on how that started, is the author of the blog Red Worm Composting and is currently teaching about trench vermicomposting. Hmm, what is that? Welcome to the show today, Bentley. Are you ready to rock worms? Oh, I sure am. Thank you, Greg. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. Well, about, well, geez, <laughs> I hate to say it, but more than 20 years ago, I was working at a consulting firm, environmental consulting firm, and I was identifying aquatic invertebrates, if that means anything, but at the time, I heard that a coworker of mine had this crazy bin under her desk. It was like this blue recycling bin, just kind of sat there. She would open it up. She would toss her lunch scraps into it. And these worms were apparently taking those lunch scraps and converting them into this compost. So you know, I've been a lifelong nature nut, and this just completely fascinated me the idea that, that this was going on in, in in my workplace right so i <laughs> i asked her you know can i please take a look at this thing and of course you know she's very nice about it and she opened this thing up and it's funny thinking you know all this time later i, lo I look back in memory and i think you know she was not taking good care, good care of that bin it was basically like this this bin of dirt and there was i remember clearly this apple core with this this collection of redworms just congregated all around. These poor little tiny redworms, they were just, you know, hanging on for dear life. And it was just, it blew my mind. You know, this idea that these little worms were taking what most people think of as garbage and converting it into 
this amazing looking rich soil, that was it. I, I was game over. And she saw how excited I was. She, she <laughs> was probably shaking at the time and yep. just I couldn't believe it. And she insisted. She said, you're taking a bucket of this stuff home. She sent me home with this worm-rich material and it's been all downhill ever since. Wow. You know, I started up. <laughs> or uphill maybe, huh? Yeah. There you go. It's, yeah, but a little bit of both. But it's, yeah, I started up my first bin probably within, you know, maybe even later that day or whenever I had the chance to get over to uh, pick up a plastic bin and, and I almost killed them probably within the first week. But it's, yeah, I haven't, I haven't stopped since. Nice. They actually call worm poop gardener's gold. What's so special about it? Well, that's a good question. It's definitely very different from your average compost. You know, average compost, is, it's, it, it's much easier to produce in a sense. You know, one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I promote worm composting so much is that it can be done on such a small scale. I mean, you right. can take a, a little tiny bin versus these big hot compost piles where you need, you know, a cubic yard or, or a couple cubic yards. And, and then you produce this this concentrated black stuff. But yeah, there's been quite a bit of, of scientific research into what it is exactly. You know, the process of taking these wastes through the earthworm digestive system seems, you know, the unique bacteria, the unique things going on. And the end product has these compounds that the plant growth promoting compounds and very little is actually needed. You only need a tiny little bit in the bottom of your pot or in the bottom of your planting hole. And there's just there's definitely something different about it than your average compost. It's not a bulk thing. It's more of a, a small, specialized thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's got microbes in it. It's got nutrients in it. Can, have you ever analyzed the makeup of it to, to understand that better? Not I myself. I mean, I've done a lot of reading just based on it's amazing to me is that just the amount of academic research that there is. You know, there's all these all these funny folk fertilizers and, and everything else out there. And it's, I don't want to say hype, but there's, there's a lot of stuff out there yeah. when it comes to natural fertilizers. But the body of academic research supporting worm castings is is pretty mind boggling. So, I mean, they've they've tested it in greenhouses, they've tested it in field trials, everything else. And it, it just consistently shows that not that much is needed. There's something in it that goes beyond what is just sort of the requirement of plants. So you can fertilize them with your typical fertilizers. If you add the worm castings, invariably, it's going to boost plant growth, no matter what. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a different type of material than your, your typical compost. So it really, truly is gardener's gold. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not, bi I'm not biased. Uh, yeah, there you go. What is <laughs> vermicomposting? Well, vermicomposting is basically the same thing as worm composting, of course, which, you know, the obvious answer would be composting with worms. Now, the one big problem there is that when you say that, a lot of people assume that, okay, I can take any kind of earthworm and I can throw it in a bin and I'm going to have worm composting. But the truth of the matter is it is a very specialized type of worm. They're known as epigeic worms. These are the worms that live very high up in the soil profile. They tend to live in rich organic matter. 
So these epigeic worms, things like red worms and African night crawlers, there's, there's not that many, but just a, a small handful of worms that are very specialized. So they love these rich wastes. So your kitchen scraps, your manure, these things that, that normal earthworms aren't generally really specialized for. So they, they can handle a lot of heat. They can handle these rapidly changing environments, everything that makes them perfect to live in a little bin or in a bed out, outside. Whereas these soil worms, you know, they like it down in the dirt, down where it's cool and relaxed and there's, you know, not much going on, not crowded. And so it's, it's, it's one of these things, it's an early mistake that a lot of people make. But so it's those worms, the specialized epigeic worms, plus microbes. Everybody forgets the microbes. Yeah, exactly. Think of the worms, you know, okay. But it's the microbes, literally the microbes do everything. You know, the worms get the, the lion's share of the, the glory. And, and they do have the digestive system, I'll give them that. But the fact is, it's these, er, these little microbes in there with all these particles and everything else. And they're, they're doing the magic, essentially. I was under the impression that the microbes do the breaking down and that the worms actually eat the microbes and the, and the exudates from the microbes. Yeah, well, that's, that whole thing is, that's, that's a very complicated side of the whole thing. You know, they, the research says that, that earthworms get most of di their nutrition from microorganisms, yet it's also microorganisms that do a lot of the work. So there's a little bit of a gray area in there. You know, which, which ones are the, the food that they're getting and then which ones are the specialized ones in, in the digestive tract that are literally in there with their enzymes and everything else and breaking it down, adding all the special compounds. So it, it's very complex. Microbiology yeah. in general, I would never, you know, I took microbiology in while I was in, in university, but I wouldn't for in a million years claim that I was remotely close to an expert of microbiology. And I don't think there, there really is anybody who is an expert of, of composting worm microbiology. Mm -hmm. How does worm composting and, and traditional thermophilic composting differ? Well, the, the big thing, the one thing I touched on earlier was the beauty of it with the, the worm composting is the, the flexibility of scale. So somebody in an apartment, somebody in a condominium, in a house, backyard composter, any of these sorts of small scale types of situations, it can be a perfect option for them. With, with the thermophilic composting, you really do need that critical mass. You need the full cubic meter or more of mass of materials. And it, it's got to be balanced pretty well. You have your carbon to nitrogen ratio has to be 25 to 1 or whatever. You know, you have to get it really perfect. You got to get the perfect moisture and aeration, all this sort of stuff. And then <laughs> that's, that's not even the end of the process. I mean, there's, there's some that's work That's just the involved. beginning, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't just leave it there. I mean, you, there's static aeration type of piles where you can set it up so that it's got some good airflow going in naturally. But... Generally speaking, you're going to need some kind of big tumbler or something that's going to provide that oxygen in there. Whereas with the worms, they're like your little workers. They're in there. They're, they're turning everything. They're mixing the microbes around. They're aerating. They're fragmenting. So they're doing – they're like your workers. You just throw them in. You let them 
do their thing. It's not to say you don't provide them with the conditions they need, but they do a lot of the work. So that's kind of the big thing. And then obviously, like what we talked about, just the, the end product does, it is quite unique in comparison. Well, and I get this question a lot from people. They ask me, well, can I put worms in my compost bin? And the biggest challenge, I believe the biggest challenge there is the heat because a traditional thermophilic composting bin can get up to 160 degrees. Oh, for sure. Yeah, if you're talking about any sort of large size system or, or pretty much any outdoor system in Phoenix, for that matter, the heat is such a, a killer, it, literally. It's, yeah. it's very, very challenging. And that's one of the, I guess, if you, can, you come up with a limitation for vermicomposting, you are dealing with living animals. And so they really, really need their specific temperature range and everything else. So this stuff that we're, we're certainly going to be talking about, I'm sure at some point, the in-ground systems, they do help a lot in that regard because you can really, really keep the temperatures down. But yeah, you're right. I mean, anything that's a big, large above-ground system, especially in a hot location, yeah, it's going to be... And that's why I would never say, oh, worm composting is better than hot composting. I love, I love partnering different things. You know, yeah. there's, there's black, black soldier fly larvae. These, they do great in hot, hot weather. Put them up above, get them processing the rich waste, and then get the worms down below. Like, get everything working together or pre-compost in a big hot compost pile and then put it into a smaller temperature-controlled system with the worms. And I, I love this sort of connection of, of yeah. different types of systems. Beautiful. So let's, let's talk about starting a worm bin. It can literally be underneath your desk where you saw it. And yeah. it's really super simple. Tell us how we get started. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of overcomplicate it a little bit. They just, they get excited about it and then they want to rush out and spend a lot of money on one of these sort of commercial bins and, and all this stuff. Literally, all you need is, is a Rubbermaid tub, You'd, some air holes, would be important. Airflow is, they do need oxygen. They're, they're aerobic organisms. So some Rubbermaid Roughneck is one of my favorites. Yep. Just a tough bin, very, very cheap. Cut some holes on the side and the lid. Bedding is one of these things that I think newcomers tend to, they don't use enough of it. Anytime I've looked at a, at a new bin that somebody's just started up, nine times out of 10, they have mostly kitchen scraps and then almost none of, of this bedding material. And it's really, really important to put lots and lots of shredded cardboard or shredded newsprint. Those are two very easy ones. Most people have really good access to, to them and they help to kind of balance. They provide that habitat value and they help with the airflow as well. So a bin mostly filled with, say, shredded cardboard or shredded newsprint, moistened, and then a small amount of food scraps. Ideally, if you can let it sit for a period of time just to let it, the microbes kind of develop on the food scraps, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And then you add your, 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 your culture of worms, your pack of worms you get from a supplier, and you know that's, that's basically it. So, and we're looking specifically, you kind of touched on this earlier, specifically for composting worms. Where does, where does one find composting worms? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, there's lots of suppliers out there. This is something that's cer certainly grown by leaps and bounds and in the past few decades. Uh, red worms are the ones that I recommend far beyond any other. They are very versatile. They're very tolerant of a wide range of conditions. They've they can tolerate cold and, and fairly warm conditions. 
And they're just a mellow worm. <laughs> it's kind of funny to talk about an earthworm being mellow. Yeah. But but there's some there's some species out there that you know they don't like vibration. They're, they're sensitive worms. They 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 roam and you don't you don't want to come home to find worms all over your wall. You want to you want them to stay in the bin. And red worms are just they're absolutely the easiest ones and they're, they're probably the most readily available anyway. So you just you'd go on Google, say, you know, composting worms, whatever your area happens to be, it's a pretty good chance you're actually going to find somebody who's literally selling them somewhere close by. Yeah, I've noticed that in, in the past three or four years is that locally here in Phoenix, there's been several worm compost companies that have sprouted up and are, you know, you can buy worms from them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So you have your bin, and the, the one that you mentioned, I think, is gray on the bottom, and they have yellow lids. You put some shredded uh, newspaper, shredded cardboard in it, what, three or four inches worth? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I would say just jam the thing full. Six or eight it, inches. Okay, good. If it's, if it's right to the top, what you're going to find is that it settles anyway. So there's almost no such thing as too much bedding, especially when you're first getting started. Yeah. Just jam or full. You can do alternating. It really depends on how long you're going to let it sit. If you're planning on letting it sit for maybe a week or so, you could literally do alternating layers. You start with a very thick layer of the bedding on the bottom, do a sort of layer of kitchen scraps, another thick layer of bedding, layer of kitchen scraps, all the way up and end with a bedding layer. And then if you let that sit for a week, maybe moisten it a little bit partway through, just make sure it's nice and evenly, kind of evenly moistened. Mm-hmm. That's, that's perfect. That's, that's in, that'll be in really good shape for the worms. Awesome. Then you add your pound of worms and let them go at it. Absolutely. And within about three or four months, the newspaper scraps and the food, scrap, the food scraps have turned into this nice, rich, dark, healthy... Worm poop, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you, you've hit the nail on the head as far as the time, and that's what you have to kind of temper your expectations a little bit. And it's three or four months for sure. And try to keep them in a climate-controlled location, especially oh, yeah. if, you live in, if you live in Phoenix, <laughs> anywhere around the, any of those sorts of regions. There's so many areas where if you toss, and it's, it's not even Phoenix for that matter. If I, I live in Ontario, Canada, and if I tossed a dark plastic bin on my deck in the middle of the summer, it just turns into an oven, that, that right. solar radiation and everything else. So if you can keep it indoors, people always worry about the, the critters and, and just the problems of the hassles of having it indoors. But if you take a, a moderated approach and just a relaxed approach with it, don't add too, too much food. As long as they have the habitat material, they should be fine. It's going to be great. And it shouldn't stink. It should be easy. Oh, yeah. It does not smell, that's for sure. Well, the bin that I actually built is a flow-through bin. It's three foot by four foot, and it stands about four feet tall. Uh, and I use old oven grates at the bottom. That so, sounds great. Yeah, and, and the bottom is about uh, two feet off of the ground, and the bin itself is about two feet thick. And so I just, I start once a year, I start cardboard at the bottom, just sheets of cardboard at the bottom. I add some cocoa peat, add some yep. worms and start throwing food scraps in there. And inside of 12 months, I'll harvest, you know, 30 pounds of worm castings out of there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And have you tried putting in your 
your plants and oh yeah <laughs> you <laughs> bet that's what it's there for um, yeah exactly the one thing i have to do here is uh, now this bin is completely shaded there is no sun that hits this hits it directly and I've found that even in the summertime, I have to drop a block of ice on the top of it because it's just too oh, hot yeah. there. That's 100 plus we're talking about, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's serious heat. So I've, I freeze a block of ice in, in the morning after I've dropped the, you know, the ice on the, on the worms. And that I, so I just, you know, this morning I froze tomorrow's block of ice and, you know, it seems, it seems to work really well. Yeah. I can, do you mind if I jump in here and, and make one suggestion related to that? Please, I'm always open. <laughs> what, that's a that's a fantastic idea. One mistake that some people make is they freeze food waste, and oh. instead of the block of ice, they do the the oh you know they toss in a whole, whole bunch of frozen food waste, and that that seems good in theory, and probably for the first. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how fast a block of ice freeze, or, uh, melts in Phoenix, but it's probably pretty fast. Once that is melted, and then you got a bunch of food waste in there, it's, it, it can be real trouble. Because it's, it's the, the decomposition of those wastes that can lead to problems, but then even that can cause microbial heating in addition to the ambient heating. And so don't ever do that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it, got it. Block of ice, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. As long as it's not a, as long as it has a sort of drainage, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a flow-through bin. So a flow-through bin yeah. is, you know, basically it has an open bottom on it. And, yeah. um, you know, I manage that with cardboard at the bottom. And so the, the water just flows right through. And you, and you have a very dry heat there too, don't you? Oh, yes. So a nice evaporative cooling, that's another thing that can work mm -hmm. really well. Yeah, you bet. Perfect. So I don't want to miss this question. You've been playing with something called verm the trench vermicomposting? Yes, I have. Do you want to chat about that now, or do you want to chat about that in your failures? <laughs> well, I mean, we can chat about it a little bit. I mean, maybe just get get started. Perfect. Uh, it's, I'm very excited about vermicomposting trenches. In a, it's very closely related to what we're talking about because of the fact that it's such a fantastic way to moderate some of these climate extremes. So we have different locations where, you know, like Phoenix, where it's extreme, extreme heat in, I don't know how much of the year, probably like at least half the year, where you've got some really serious temperatures to contend with. And anything that's kind of sitting up above ground is, is going to be challenging. So what's amazing is that once you dig down into the earth, the earth has this incredible ability to, to provide cool conditions, essentially. So if you dig a hole, you, you go down and feel the dirt at the bottom of that hole, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly that the temperature down there is quite a bit lower. And they have this geothermal heating and all these things where they're pumping up air from down below. And this is sort of a simple version of that, where you get them down below the ground and it's, and it's not even just heat. So once the cold temperatures arrive in regions like my own, where we have our serious winter every year, it's going to buffer that as well. And so it's, it's you know, we'll get into, I'm sure we'll get into the, the, the origin story, the backstory behind that a bit later on. But it's, I can't recommend in-ground system. It's not even just 
a system itself. Like if you can have a backyard composter, any kind of above-ground system, and then have a bit of a below-ground area, sort of a safe zone, it can make a huge difference in terms of your chances of success in, uh, with an outdoor system. Got it. What does your trench vermicomposting system look like? Well, the, one of the beautiful things about it is it doesn't have to look like anything in particular. It's just, it's any kind of, and I say trench a lot, I use the term trench, but it can be literally any sort of pit or any kind of hole in the ground on the most simple basic level, something like a worm tower uh, is basically just a PVC pipe that goes, or a bucket even is even better, something uh -huh. a little bit bigger than a PVC pipe that is buried in the ground. So you dig just a very, very simple pit, bury this bucket with holes in it in the ground and treat it like a worm bin. You, you put your bedding and your food scraps inside the bin, ideally somewhere close to where plants are growing. And that's sort of the most basic level type of, of in-ground system. Uh -huh. It can go all the way up to, I've, I have all kinds of different trenches that run alongside my gardens. I have now this big massive system that is a trench with what's known as a walking windrow <laughs> kind of set up down in it. And it's just, just, just so much value when it comes to, to buffering those climate extremes when you set any kind of system down in the ground somewhat. Got it. Well, and then, that, then you're getting an interaction between the soil because you put holes in the side of it, right? Yeah. Now, in the case of the tower, that's literally a physical structure. And in some cases where you live in, in a region where there might be a lot of moles or something where if you're a bit worried about anything coming in, roots, for example, you may want to put some kind of literal physical wall or bucket or an actual container. You could probably literally submerge a worm bin down on the ground and have it be quite a bit cooler than if a bin that was sort of sitting above ground. Oh, yeah, that's but, absolutely the case. But it doesn't generally, it doesn't actually have to have any kind of uh, a structure. Interesting. So I, I know that that your worm trenching, a vermin trenching project is your failure. So let's let's jump over there and do that. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed and how you overcame the failure and what you might have learned from it. All right. Well, back in the spring of 2008, I contacted this incredibly popular restaurant, probably the most popular restaurant in our region. They have big buffets. People drive for miles to come to this restaurant. And I had in my head that I was going to take all of their compostable kitchen scraps and I was going to compost them on my suburban property. So I probably had about three backyard composters, maybe, maybe, maybe another bin outside. And I just, you know, whatever. I was, I was excited. I thought this sounded like a great initiative. I was going to, you know, whatever I was going to, I was going to make it work. Right. It didn't take long <laughs> to realize that I was in way over my head. I quickly realized this was hundreds and hundreds of pounds of kitchen scraps they were compostable, at least, but, you know, broccoli and, and all of these peelings and everything else that th this place was using every single day, hundreds of pounds, just the logistics of 
driving over there, mm-hmm. having these bins, getting it back to my my little property. And then, needless to say, these these systems in my yard they started filling up very very fast. Yeah. And I, you know, I like to think I know what I'm doing, so I had them all layered properly. This wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about worm composting at this point. I just just trying to do something that would provide some some aeration and semi thermophilic composting. And those bins, they they filled up very very quickly. And my, my, stage two was squirrel mode. I basically went around my yard and dug these little holes and I buried it. And so it was just everywhere. Oh, yeah. I was digging holes all yep. over my yard, jump, dumping this stuff in. And it's actually worked quite well. It, once, you, once it's in the ground, it's, it doesn't smell, doesn't yep. cause problems. And surprisingly enough, there weren't any animal issues. But eventually, I came to the point where I ran out of places to dig these little holes so it was starting to get a little bit uh, nerve-wracking and i had these plastic bins this was summertime by this point plastic bins organic waste sitting on my driveway in my shed all over my yard and it started to smell really really bad you stepping out into my backyard you'd literally hit with a wall of stench it was it was it was very scary to be honest and i was terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do. And suddenly I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, you've been digging these little tiny holes. What about if you just dug this monstrous, gigantic hole, this big, huge trench in beside your garden, just something huge, get released. You can get rid of all these, all this stuff. And I happened to have a lot of cardboard and, and paper at the time. And I thought, well, at least, well, maybe I'll at least try to do some kind of composting thing with it. And so I just, I started layering the cardboard and then just dumping this, this sludge, this nasty sludge in it. And it, it took the whole thing. It did everything. I was able to fill it with, with all the waste materials, all this bedding material that I had and covered it up. And that alone was like a miracle. I was like, right. I, I, I literally got rid of all this, this, this horrible stuff and didn't, nobody, called the authorities amazingly <laughs> enough i'm over here sm- i'm i'm gonna pause <laughs> you for a minute here i'm over here laughing because i've done the same thing over the past year and a half i've been oh, collecting really? i've been collecting 10 bucket loads of food waste from a restaurant for the past year and a half that's awesome and you know i was doing black soldier flies i've got my worms i've got the chickens and i've got my traditional composting system and just yeah. over the past few months so it took about a year and a half, but finally everything filled up. It's like, all right, I can't do this anymore. So currently I have about 25 bins sitting back in my compost area that have food waste in them that have been there and there for a month. And I can't even imagine. I opened one of them this morning and it was like, oh, stomach turning. So my, my job tomorrow morning, yeah, right? My job tomorrow morning is to build a traditional thermophilic compost system and use all of that with it. So yes. I feel your pain. Yeah. yeah. Now the one, I guess the one positive in, in, in your your area is these those black soldier flies. Oh yes. They they can handle just the nastiest of, of horrible stuff. They'll eat meat and everything rotting. So maybe so I I think they'll help you out anyway. Oh yeah. Once once you get something set up, but yeah, it's 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 ugly. <laughs> so your success then. I, I can tell from our conversation that your failure is turning into a success. Tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I got this trench set up. 
I, at that, that point, was literally just survival mode. You know, just get rid of this waste, probably cancel this whole thing, not get in trouble, not get arrested. And, you know, first of all, it took the whole, all those bins. I couldn't believe the amount of material that I was able to get into this trench. It was a pretty good size trench, don't get me wrong. But all this material, all this bedding, and then it didn't stink. There was no smell. So, you know, me being me, Mr. Mr. Dummy here, I'm like, okay, well, this almost seems like it's working again. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can actually make this work. So I started extending the trenches. I started digging them in other parts of the yard. And it, it was fantastic. It was clearly able to handle those wastes early on and... The big thing, I mean, that was, that was sort of the, the first level of, of awesome, essentially. But the big thing that came later on was the impact that these trenches had on my garden. I, I hadn't really thought about that at the Ooh, time. But they're sitting there, and I, I did add worms. I just I added them at the top, and I thought, okay, well, well let's see what they can do in there. So they, they thrived, and they, the population took off. And this was like no garden I, I had ever had in my life. I was sort of the, you know, mediocre garden guy, you know, not, not really a green thumb yet at that point. And suddenly I felt like, you know, I don't know, you know, green thumb pro, basically nothing. These plants were like Jurassic <laughs> and everything else. And it, nice. was, it was, that was the big clincher. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not going to claim that, that I was able to do this forever. I do live in Southern Ontario. So once those cool temps started to, to come in in the fall, I knew that everything slows down. It slows down the composting process a lot. And so I did, you know, realistically, I knew I was going to have to, and I was just worn out, you know, lugging all that hundreds of pounds of, of waste every week and everything else. I, I decided to end it, but it was a major turning point for me. And, and, it, it completely changed my perspective on vermicomposting and gardening. Uh, it was just a, a very, very important stage for me to uh, to go through that. Nice. And what drives you? Early on, I would say, I think I sort of alluded to early on, just this, this curiosity. I had this you know, fascination with nature all my life. I just, any natural history of, of critters, essentially any organisms. My dad kind of got me out in the forest, turning over logs and, and gardening from an early age. And so I've always had this fascination and just, like I said, seeing this process and seeing what these worms could do, that was a hundred percent my, my early driving, driving force. But then, you know, I knew that this is a process that more people should know about. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, sure there's people that know about it, but this, this is almost magical to me. And so I, I, I really wanted to share it with others. And I'm not, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I probably sound kind of loud and talkative by this point, but I'm pretty introverted and shy in the real world. I don't, I'm not out there giving speeches and all this sort of stuff. And so I, I thought, well, what if you set up a website and just kind of tell people what you're doing and share your quirky little adventures with this this stuff and see what, what can happen from that. And so that kind of led to part two of, of the motivation, which was just seeing this connection with, with all these people. I was amazed. The Internet is amazing. Oh, yeah. The quirkiest of weird obsessions and you can find thousands upon thousands of people who, who are actually interested in it. And so just, you know, building a following and making just impact apparently on people 
And having this positive feedback, I joke with my followers that their, their positive feedback is like rocket fuel. It's essentially, oh, you know, yes. this idea that, oh, man, I, I touched you in some little way. You know, you, you inspired you to to get involved and you're trying it out. And I love that. And, you know, I guess the enthusiasm kind of helps. And so that's sort of the big motivation now is just seeing that, you know, the, this can really make a difference. And especially with an on- online platform. And so, I mean, that's, you know, big, big time what, what motivates me now. But of course, the magic of the, the process itself is, is at the heart of it. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I would say, I know that you have a, a mixed crowd. You have some people who would probably be interested in gardening and, and worm composting on a small scale, but also some homesteaders and some that might have a bit of an entrepreneurial leaning. So I would, I would probably have two recommendations, if that's all right. Per, please. Number one, the, the basic home vermicomposter book would definitely be Worms Eat My Garbage by Mary Applehoff. And she's, she is a true pioneer of worm composting. She's somebody who back in the 80s was showing people that they could take their kitchen scraps and they can turn it into this amazing black gold before anybody else was really doing that. We had these worm farmers from the 70s who were raising bait worms and there was a lot of, there's actually a lot of scams back then, a lot of dark sort of days associated with the worm farming industry. And she came along and she'd show people, it's not just about that, it's about really, really taking these waste materials and, and making something amazing. So she, she unfortunately, she, she passed away in 2005, but the work that she did for the home vermicomposting crowd and just in general, it's, it's just amazing. So before you go any farther, I know that Story Publishing has republished uh, her book and uh, with the help of Joanne Olazewski, I think, O-L-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I, they have put out the 35th anniversary of Worms Eat My Garbage. So it's available and we'll have this on our show notes page as well. But they did a really good job of updating the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her work was, was so important. And there's just been a sort of a you know legacy and, and people carrying on. Yeah. Carrying on her work, which is awesome. And the second oh, book. Yes. The second book, for those of you who are sort of thinking, oh, yeah, maybe this would be a fun business to start. And I can tell you for sure that it is a great little idea for, for something if you want to start a side business. You know, probably won't get too in-depth in that. But The Worm Farmer's Handbook by Rhonda Sherman. And Rhonda's another person who has been around for ages. She was one of the original all-stars. When I, when I was first learning about vermicomposting, I mean, she was among these, this group of people, included Mary Applehop, of people who were really, really making great strides to promoting this quirky hobby, essentially. And she's just stuck with it. You know, she's, she's at uh, North Carolina State University, and every year she hosts a big worm farming conference. And so she recently released the Worm Farmer's Handbook. Excellent book if you want to learn about just kind of the business side of things. Perfect. So that was Rhonda Sherman, right? Absolutely. We actually had her on the podcast, episode 405. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and that was an incredible uh, episode. So if you just go to urbanfarm.org, top right, you can type in Rhonda Sherman and she will come up. So you can visit visit with Rhonda as well. Awesome. 
What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? The big thing, a lot of people kind of jump in. They want to dive in and go crazy with it. And they, they start to think of their, their worms as their pets and they have to feed them lots and lots of, of food every day and all this sort of thing. And the other the big mistake is there's all these these pieces of wisdom floating around from, from, year, from years past about how to worm compost. There's these rules of thumb. You know, a, a worm can eat double its weight every day in food waste, all these sorts of ideas. And it gives people the wrong impression of, of how worm, worm composting works. They, they get in their head that they can start this Rubbermaid tub, put all of their food scraps in it, and these worms are going to miraculously convert into black gold with no problem. That's definitely not the way to do it. You, you really want to emphasize the habitat, the, the quality bedding that we talked about, yep. all the shredding cardboard, the, the newsprint. Focus on the habitat. Don't worry so much about the food. These worms are incredibly difficult to starve. They are very easy to overfeed. And overfeeding is hands down, I'm sure, the most common problem with any new vermicomposter. They, they want to keep adding food day after day. You know, oh, I should be able to add a pound. I have a pound of worms, so I should be able to add a pound of food every day. And these, these crazy ideas, what you want to do is treat it more as a fun experiment. You, you get them set up with a little tiny bit of food, with their bedding. Watch what they do. Observe them. See, are they, are they eating the food? Are they processing it? If it looks like they're really doing well with it, sure, add you know, another scrap, whatever. You don't, you don't need to go too crazy with adding all kinds of, of food scraps. And just, you know, keep it simple in general. You don't have to spend hundreds of dollars to get started. Basic Rubbermaid tub. Yeah, away you go. Have fun with it. Some shredded newspapers and a half pound of worms. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Bentley. Oh, it was a pleasure. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Redwormcomposting.com is that's my main stomping grounds and that's probably a good place to send people and from there you know there's all kinds of ways to connect with me elsewhere but yeah redroomcomposting.com perfect excellent you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash compost guy we are your urban farming resource you can find us on itunes google play stitcher iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. 
Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.